Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and our topic today is the courage to advance real-life resilience from the world's most successful women in business. And my guest today is Bonnie Hageman, and she says behind every leader, there's a tremendous amount of work, as well as great pain and sacrifice. Real life happens to real leaders. Learning about the obstacles that others have faced and how these leaders overcame them will help you get up when you're feeling defeated, and it happens. It can be a daily thing. It can be just once in a while, but sometimes reading about how other people adapted and overcame can really help you. So Bonnie Hageman is the CEO of EDA, which is an established global human capital brand with marquee clients and access to the top of the house, and I'll get to her to explain that. She has deep expertise in leadership from every angle and has founded and led companies, led and outsourced functions for large corporations, and coached and advised over 200 CEOs and senior leaders on vision, leadership, strategy, and culture. Now, boards and leaders engage her and her company to create compelling cultures that last, develop top-of-the-house talent, increase employee connectedness, and work through both general and highly contentious leadership authors. She is also a published author and well-known leadership strategist who advises public and large company CEOs, and we're going to talk about that as well. And I have her book on my desk. So, Bonnie, welcome to your partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We almost didn't make it. We've, we've tried this a yes. couple of times. I'm so glad you're here. I thought, oh, my goodness, we're going to have to reschedule again. But you're here, so I'm very excited. I'm here. So, before, I'm here. Yeah. so tell people a bit about yourself before I start peppering you with questions. And like, I don't know if you heard me or not, but I have your book on my desk. There are some absolutely inspiring stories. All of them are inspiring, but some just kind of collect your heart. Oh, my God. So tell people about you. Well, Yes, I'd be glad to, and thank you. I do think the book has a lot of great stories, and I hope people will pick it up. We can talk about that in a minute. But I, um, I'm the CEO of EDA, a 39-year-old human capital firm. We, we have a well-known brand around the world for top of the house, um, executive development from C-suite coaching to succession planning, hypo programs, corporate universities, anything that has to do with executive education internal and at the top of the house for medium to large corporations. And then we also have, um, we're converting actually to be primarily a tech company. We will still have our services, but we're adding uh, quite a bit of technology that comes out in February called EDA surveys, the first platform. And that will is designed to make culture visible and then um, outside of war, uh, the EDA platform that I have, I also have a podcast, Real Life, Real Leaders, the new book, The Courage to Advance, and I'm co-chair and co-founder of a network called Women Execs on Boards, uh, and that is a network of women who are board-ready, prepared at Harvard Business School, and that has over 200 members from 23 countries. So that's how I'm facing the marketplace and, and lots going on. Sounds like it. I'm impressed. I'm seriously impressed. Every time I wander around and take a deep sigh, oh, I'm just so busy. I think about people like you, and I get over myself very quickly. <laughs> I am not nearly as busy as y'all are. Well, it, I'm over busy for sure. You know, I I did a podcast with someone else recently, and we we talked about self care. And, you know, that is something I have to get better at because I really do go too long, you know, too hard for too long, and then I run myself down. So I'm working on a little more balance. You know, 
it's interesting that you should say that because my best friend was here this weekend and we were baking and putting together gift gift bags for neighbors and friends and you know just people who we think need cookies and such i mean everybody needs that at christmas mm-hmm. right Absolutely. so and we were talking about exactly that you know we don't and we recognize this we don't really take great care of ourselves in a regular kind of a way you know we'll go oh yeah i'm going to go do this and do that but we haven't made it a practice and i think is this a woman thing or is this just mankind altogether you know it's a good question i'm not sure i i do know that women really do have a hard time with it i i really can't say if it's you know, more prevalent with women, but I, but women are really bad about it because typically we don't think of ourselves first. We, we put other people in front of us. And so, you know, I think it is a problem and we have to learn to take better care of ourselves, especially as women get in higher and higher level leadership positions. You know, the work requires so much of us that if we don't build it in, then we just have a tendency to try to do it all and wear ourselves out. This is true. Do you feel like sharing a few things that you have strategized to take better care of yourself, or is, are you still working on that? Yes, <laughs> both. Um, well, for one thing, you know, I typically would work straight through the holidays, even though we close our offices. So I'm really good about helping my employees have the time off that they need, but I'm not very good about doing it myself. So typically we close down for two weeks and I keep working. But Um, So this time I have scheduled one week of absolutely no work and the other week is light work. And so, you know, just things like that. And then one thing that I do is I block, I try to block Mondays and the first two hours of every day for outgoing only. Now in the last six months, I haven't been able to keep that because I've been raising capital and rolling out the book on top of my regular work. But I feel best when I put, when I have those two things in place. So Mondays and the first two hours of every day, outgoing only, no meetings. And so that's very yeah. helpful. And I have to tell you, you know, I got your, um, I had sent you a note this morning and I've got the email that came back that said that you were, you know, taking the two weeks off, you were soft working, but, yes. and I, I'm, I stole it. I basically copied it. I went, that is, I didn't steal it. I relocated it. I took your idea. <laughs> and this morning, <laughs> after I read what you had to say, I went, that's brilliant. And I just took the last, this week, I'm not working. Next week, I'm not working. I will oh, be doing no. what you're doing because I've got projects I need to build. I've got a book I need to finish up. doesn't get done. doesn't get done. I beat myself up. Then I feel bad. The rest of this year, we've only got two weeks. If that, I am working for me. And thank you for that That's because right. I read that and I went, she gets it. She's right. And I didn't even think about it. I contacted my entire team. I said, you know, I have been a bad, bad boss, if you will, and I want everybody to finish what you're doing. If you can, nothing is critical because I already worked that into my schedule. Take some time off. We'll, we'll, you know, get back together in the first of the year. And they're like, oh, really? Yes, really. So thank you, Bonnie. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that you did that. Wonderful. Because, you know, we all, we do, we need to sharpen the axe. We need the time. You know, I don't know if you ever read the, you know, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits. But oh, he yeah. talks about, you know, the, the, the lumberjack who's always sharpening the axe and ends up cutting down more trees than the one who chops all day long. And it's because every time he was sitting down, he was sharpening his axe. And, yeah, you know, yeah, cool. that's what we have to do. We have to rest. And I have been through burnout, so I actually, you know, know the consequences of not doing it. So I'm thrilled that you did that. Well, and after I did it, I went, how did I not know this? I'm a smart girl, right? (laughs) Apparently not. (laughs) Well, maybe you have to go through some pretty devastating burnout to learn it. (laughs) There you go. But, you know, I read that, and it just grabbed me. I went, okay. So I changed up a little bit. I didn't use your phone number, by the way, so you won't be getting people from, you know. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's helpful. But I thought it was absolutely brilliant, and I thank you, and my team thanks you. Wonderful. I'm thrilled. 
Okay, so let's talk about, I've got things I wanted to talk with you about, leadership, transgender equality, and we touched on that a little bit in the self-care thing, but your new book, we're definitely going to talk about that. And you work a lot, and you talk a lot about being an entrepreneur or a female entrepreneur. I think that's important. I think from my observation in the last couple of years during COVID or whatever it's termed right now, Variant. I don't know what the heck it is anymore. There have been a lot of entrepreneurs that just said, okay, I'm going to do something different. They weren't basically an entrepreneur before all of this happened, but they sure Mm -hmm. are now. Are you seeing that too? A lot of people who maybe would have never come to the forefront are saying, I got this. I have things I can share. I've got this. Well, and they're just, they don't want to go back to companies that, you know, like I think, I think everybody sort of had an awakening in that now they realize, you know, Oh, you know, I could have done, I could have been doing jobs at home. I wasn't being micromanaged, you know, during this period. And I really don't want to go back to that. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of people just, just starting companies and, and things like that just to avoid having to go back to what they were in. And it was eye-opening in a lot of ways. So, it's you know, it's good. It's good. It's going to force some companies to rethink how they're doing things. And it'll also, of course, birth lots of new inventions and all of that with the people who are starting their own businesses. Oh, absolutely. And does that go back to what you were saying earlier at the top of the show about your new uh, process or, or your new business, which is making – culture visible what does that mean because so mm-hmm. much about culture we don't know what the companies really stand for until they do something right. really stupid and hit the news and that's happening an yes. awful lot oh goodness you're so right um well so here's what we're our our technology is called eda surveys it's designed to make culture visible to the leaders the board the investors and potential employees and we'll do that by being the one-stop shop for all enterprise-wide surveys. So, you know, any survey that's going on, whether it's just like how did the meeting go to your culture survey, your 360s, any survey that's going on, your, you know, in any department, they'll, all that data will be coming into one place. And it'll be feeding into a dashboard. So on top of just your normal, like I took a survey, I get my report, um, you, all of those comments and everything are are being combed for patterns through our artificial intelligence and also you know if the company wants it we will have um you know it'll be able to monitor chat and email and things like that for patterns not for specifics not for any individual but for patterns and if you know if you're worried about being big brother just know it's already happening uh you know i was uh talking about something just yesterday i can't remember what i said but it immediately popped up on my home depot app so you know they're listening um facebook's listening microsoft's listening so it's already happening it's just whether or not you choose to include it and so we will have that option as well and if they do include the artificial intelligence option then it will be um having a real time it's pulling that data real time to show to put up into the dashboard and there will be different levels of dashboards. Like the, the leaders, they'll be able to drill down to the team level, figure out what's going on, because they have to actually make the changes and create the compelling environment. But the board, the investors, and the potential employees will have a high-level dashboard so that they can get enough to make informed decisions, ask good questions. You know, it, it won't be as in-depth, but they'll still be able to see it. Okay, am I dead wrong here, or is this basically just high-powered HR? Well, I think it's I think it's beyond HR because okay. you know if you if you look at typical HR HR is a lot about compliance right. and about you know legal things and culture is everywhere and so you know we use the Peter Drucker's definition of culture which is the way we do things around here and it's you know, we have sort of, if you go into a company or go into a city or a neighborhood, you start to figure out, like, this is the culture. This is how we do things around here. But there can be pockets 
that are not good or that are really good and you want to duplicate. And so, so I think it's a little beyond, you know, just the human capital talent sort of supply chain and keeping everybody in line that HR is supposed to do. It goes into that. Are we creating a place where that people love that people are compelled to come to? And, and if the they're reason, not, what can we do? Gotcha. The reason I ask that is I've been having a lot of conversations with HR people or, you know, CEOs, CFOs, and all of them, and they don't say it the same way. But across the board, my take is that every one of them feels that HR really doesn't need to be about compliance. It needs to be at the table no matter what decisions are being made because they are part of establishing the culture. And I guess that's where that thought popped into my head. Yes, and I see what you're saying. So if you leave leadership development under HR, then I agree completely. However, I think there's an argument for pulling the two apart. And so you could take you could take all your leadership development and pull it out of HR, make it appear to HR. And that, in my opinion, should report to the CEO. Mm-hmm. Or if it stays under HR, then the head of human resources should report to the CEO because leadership belongs to the CEO. Right. And they're the ones who should be driving leadership, who should be creating that environment throughout the organization. So, I, you know, that's my argument because – uh, you know, if you if you broke it out that way, then you could actually put HR under legal because it's, the rest of it's mostly compliance, and you know, getting things legally right and taking care of your everything in a in a pretty rigid way. All right. But if, right. You, but, if but if you leave them together, then you're I agree completely. And most, and most people times do have them together. Oh, okay. And when people think of HR, they just their stomach hurts. I'm like, oh, geez, now what? <laughs> I don't think that's what HR really wants to be. I don't think so either. I mean, I wouldn't want – if I somebody agree. said, okay, Denise, go see HR, it's like, oh, why? It's like I'm going to the principal. Right. What did Am I, I in trouble? <laughs> yeah. They're firing me. Oh, crap. You know, it's just – Right, you know, just right. and that's, that's another reason. Yes, that's another reason I think they should be separate because, you know, leadership development and workforce development, those things are positive. People, That's where you talk about your career and you think, oh, I need to learn this. And, you know, like it's positive. And so, you know, that's another reason I think there's a good argument for pulling them apart. Right. So your AI is going to be able to tell your leadership who, you know, what people are concerned about, what the culture is doing, where it might be tanking, where it's doing really mm-hmm. well, where they can, and I hate this word, it's a COVID word as far as I'm concerned, pivot, I hate it, but where they can adapt and make changes. Well, Yes, that is exactly right. So because we want the leaders to be able to say, oh, this is working. Let's dive in and figure out why it's working so we can duplicate that across the organization. Or this is not working, and what do we need to do? And and so we want that. And, you know, I have a little different take on the word pivot that might help you. So okay. I used to play basketball and um, in high school, and I actually use this when I give leadership talks is I show that, you know, as a, as a basketball player, I would have to get into what I call an adaptive stance, meaning I'm on my toes, I'm ready to turn either way, I'm ready to pivot, like, you know, with the basketball in order to get to where I need to go based on what's coming at me. And so the analogy I give is, you know, the other person, they're, that's life, it's coming, how do I pivot? to get around so I can get to the goal. So maybe that will help you not hate the word pivot so much. I just wrote down adaptive stance, and that makes – I can see it in my head. That makes perfect sense to mm-hmm. me. Just pivot all by yes, itself. I even demonstrated like, really? in my heels on the stage. <laughs> and when you said on your toes, I immediately went, well, I'm, you know, I'm a nerd in stilettos. I got that too. So thank you for exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to be able to run in heels or you can't do much. Okay, so... That's it. I know, I'm telling you. So let's go back just a bit to culture. So why did... How 
did you figure out or come to the realization that culture is just so critical in every business, mine, yours, the local dry cleaner down the road? You've got to have that culture, and you have to understand your culture. And I'll be frank with you. I've seen some headlines that make me wonder, do they even know what their their people are doing? Why are they doing this? Right. Why is one person at the top basically ruining a company? Cancel culture mm-hmm. is alive. Mm-hmm. It is, and it's vicious, and you yes. probably want to avoid that if you can. Absolutely. Yeah, so it actually happened because of the last book that we did. So back in 2009, we rolled out our trends research. Now, we've been doing trends in executive development research since the early 80s. We do it every two to three years. It's it's used around the world as a benchmark report for companies to see compare their executive development efforts to others and see how they're doing. And also, by doing that, we always have a section in the beginning that's an overview section, and that's where we pull in together ex- experts in executive development to, to look at all this data and say, now, what does that mean, you know, as far as trends coming forward? So in 2009, when we um, rolled out our trends research, it said that we did not – the number one need we had for leaders – was leaders who could create a compelling vision and engage other people around it. So we also saw that we didn't have that in the high potentials. And so we didn't have it. We didn't have it coming up. We needed to create it. So we began the work to try to figure out, well, you know, who does visionary leadership well as far as education, and let's start sending people to them. And we started looking around, and we couldn't find good programs on visionary leadership. There just were hardly any out there. And so we decided, okay, well, we're going to do it then. So we wrote the book, Leading with Vision, and we built a course, and we started doing talks on it. And in that process, we figured out that you have to have a compelling vision. That's one piece, to be able to engage your workforce. But as we dug deeper, we realized it's more than that. You need a compelling vision and a compelling culture because you could have the greatest vision in the world, but if you're a jerk, you know, you're still not going to be able to keep your workforce. So it takes both, and that's how we discovered it, and we've been building on that ever since. So how – I'm going to have to ask this. How do people not know they're jerks? And I'm serious about that. I'm (laughs) – I know when I've been kind of cranky and I have to go, Right. all right, let me go back and apologize. And most people, it doesn't happen often, but most people will say, don't, don't worry about it. We know who you really are and that you were just having a bad moment or, you know, I I get that you didn't mean it the way it came across. You know, you cannot nuance in text and emails. Sometimes just pick up the phone. But, but I know when I'm being a jerk. And sometimes I just say, you know what, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go outside and kick something. might be my tire, but I need to go outside and kick something. Right? Don't kick the cat. No. Mine are big. They bite. Um, (laughs) How do people not know when, when they can see that their company is basically falling apart, that they're losing people left, right, and center? Why don't they figure out that it's them? They're the bottleneck. They're the trash talker. They're Do they... Listen, I said the other day, and I meant this, I don't think we need psychiatrists so much as we need exorcisms. There's a lot of weird (laughs) stuff going on in the world. I think that may be true. That's a good idea. So I think there are two things that happen. One is the more innocent version, which is that people, maybe they haven't been developed. Maybe they were an amazing surgeon who, you know, comes up with something and then, you know, invents a medical device and ends up being the CEO of a company. So they haven't been developed into leaders. Leadership is a skill. Well, it's a combination of skills. And it requires a lot of work. And I mean, by the time you get a CEO at a Fortune 500 company, they've been polished a lot. So those leaders, they have been prepared they should be, you know, for the most part, they should be much better because they would have been corporately developed. But when you get these entrepreneurs or these 
what do you call them, uh, unicorns, you know, where it happens really fast, mm-hmm. fast. Um, right. then there's maybe not time to get there. So in that case, sometimes it's just innocent that they don't understand impact versus intent. Their, their heart is right, but the way they're delivering their messages, the way they're speaking, it's coming across as overly harsh or directive or maybe they're stressed, you know, and all that's coming out. So that's one piece, and there are definitely leaders that are going through that. And they just the, the best thing they could do would be do a 360 by an outside vendor, get them to come in, do some interviews, get some feedback, and then get a coach, you know, and start working mm-hmm. on yourself. Right. So that that is a good positive thing to do. But there are the others, and this is much worse, and I do see this, is the ones who just don't care. They're, they have the attitude that, um, you know, there's, someone always will, will replace you for less money and do your job better, and so I don't really care if you leave, and they just plow through with whatever they want to do. And so for those, I think if I were uh, – they're not going to listen, I would say the board needs to replace them. Mm-hmm. That's what I would do as well. And it mm-hmm. doesn't happen, though, because it looks to me, and I don't know anywhere near the amount of you know information you do about this this topic, but it looks to me that it's hard to fire a CEO or recall a board member. It's it's difficult, or am I wrong? It's it's difficult. It because it's it's high level, it's high profile. Usually, you know, it's got a lot of attention on it. It is definitely not easy, but it absolutely can be done in any company where there's some bravery. I've helped move um, public company CEOs off it when needed, and help put them on. And so, you know, it's absolutely possible. And same thing at the board level. It's not easy and it's not fun, but if you have a poor performing board member, the chairman needs to sit down with that board member and give them the feedback. And if they can't fix it, tell them, you know, we don't want you to uh, to go up for election. And so, you know, they just have to have the difficult conversations. And the people who can have the really difficult conversations are the ones who end up in leadership. Right. I've noticed you know, we're talking about not necessarily boards, but school boards across the nation right now. Members of school boards are being recalled at an astronomical rate. Have you noticed that? Mm. People are I've been hearing out. a lot about that. My kids are grown, so I'm not in the mix, but I have heard, you know, in peripherally about what's going on with the school boards. Well, schools are, I guess, Parents are more involved, and this may be part of the COVID thing as well. You know, they're home. They're with their kids. They're seeing what their kids are learning or not learning, and they don't like mm-hmm. a lot of what they're seeing. So school boards are in trouble right now, and I'll be honest, some of what I'm seeing, that should have happened a long time ago. But we'll see. Yeah, but it's well, difficult. I, it's I think, easy. yeah, I have some thoughts about education as well. You know, I personally, I believe we need to create a new system. And, you know, do it simultaneously with this other one, but create something completely different for the future because, and, you know, bring them up together. And then when the other one gets a grip, then we let the old one go because this is archaic the way we're doing things now. Oh, I agree with you. Listen, I'm, when I was a kid and, you know, I was – we were taught. I mean, we weren't allowed to play. We were taught – we had to actually learn things. We had to have conversations. We had to write papers. And now, uh, you know, I look at these hunchback kids who are, you know, hunched over their phone. They're not learning a darn thing. Mm-hmm. It worries me. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's just a, an observation. But if you have a chance, pay attention to what's going at the school, school board yes, level. I will. People are genuinely ticked off. And, man, I don't blame them. So let's talk. I've got your book. And I'm telling you, this is a fascinating book because – as a woman, I always like to hear from other women. And I'm, you know, there's, yes. we're, we're different. We think differently. And I love to hear from men too. I read a lot of leadership books from men, and some of them are absolutely spectacular. But there's something different about this book. So let's, let's kind of launch into it because I think that people, male or female, need to really pay attention to what's going on in here. I agree. So the book is my third book, third published book. 
um, I have another one that has never gotten published. No. <laughs> the one I could never get, the first one, my practice book, I guess. But this this book, so I so I started this network that I had mentioned earlier. So I co-founded it with um, Lisa Pint, and basically it's women who've completed board governance through Harvard Business School. Now these are really high profile, high level women, and you know I just saw, you know after we had take, taken these courses, uh, that we we were trying to stay together with phone calls, but we needed something more formal to really help each other. And so when I was sitting around one night, we'd had a conference, our, our first conference for the network, and there were about four or five of us sitting around at the bar in, at the Cornell Club, ironically, in New York City. And um, we were having the conversations, you know, at the end of this network meeting, and the women were telling stories. And these stories were like re- very revealing. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh, I get it. I get how they get here. These are not like elitist. These are, most of the women in that, in our network, were, didn't, they weren't, you know, elite families. And that's how they ended up going to this Harvard executive education program. They were hardworking. Many came from humble beginnings. Many were immigrants. Some were undocumented immigrants when they came. And they managed to make their way all the way to the top, to be on boards, to run big companies. And so it was this grit that I was hearing in their stories. So I went to my publisher and I said, you know, I think I've got an idea for a good book. And I told him about the women and I said, I'd like to tell their stories around specific leadership competencies that it takes to get to the top. And that's where the book came from. And so it's called The Courage to Advance. And it's all about, you know, going, trying to go to those really high levels. But in every story is the hardest thing or one of the hardest things that they've ever been through on their way. And how did they get through it? Because what we don't talk enough about is what's going on behind the scenes. We're so careful and to be buttoned up. Like, I'll give you an example. I was at the University of Georgia Women's Conference as a, one of the three keynote speakers. The, uh, one of the other ones was uh, Christine. I'd have to look up her last name, but she's the CFO of Disney. And went before me, and then Deborah Roberts went after me. Well, the Christine, the CFO at Disney, she said someone was asking her a question about herself, and, she, and they asked her basically what was one of the hardest things she's been through. And so she was thinking, okay, in my mind, do I tell them the good corporate answer? And, you know, like, oh, it's been really hard leading and shifting through COVID, or do I give them something real? And she said, you know, I told them that I had been through clinical depression. And she said it was amazing, like it just opened up people's, you know, the conversation and allowed other people to admit that they were having trouble. And so it's like we hide sometimes the real part, the hard things that are going on. And I wanted to tell those stories. So so that is this book is meant to be inspirational. It's meant to help the, all the people out there who are who are going through stuff and they think, I feel alone. I feel like quitting. I'm tired. You know, read this book. I promise you will be so inspired by the women who got through terrible things sometimes or just challenging things and how they got through it. Exactly. Listen, I am on page 40. You know what, what oh. chapter that is? It's surviving I don't downturn. know. Tell me. I, I have to look it up. I've got books everywhere, but I, I'd have to go read one. It's you. It's your story. Oh, <laughs> surprise but I had this bookmark because I was like okay you know I needed to know more about you because I knew I was going to be chatting you and you know you talk about surviving downturns COVID oh my gosh you know so many people either lost their jobs lost their business lost their lives in in some some instances and you know it's been a very difficult time and many of us simply don't understand how it happened why it happened or why it continues to happen I'm not sure that we'll ever have real answers for that. So we're not going to go down that, that dirt road. But let's talk about this chapter because, you you know, one of your, I, I guess it's a sub here, stumbling blocks or stepping stones. And that's a question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so that, you know, that title, and actually one of the women in the network came up with that, which I loved, which, you know, it was like every every time we have these problems that are going on, they can they can be one or the other, and it's really our mindset that determines that. You know, we can we can take it and we can say, you know, that was a stumbling block for me and I'm struggling to keep going, or we can use it as a stepping stone. And, you know, there were a couple of patterns that came out of the all these stories in the book. And just to give you an example, one of them was choose the right partner and how important it is to have that person who is your support system. And so... Of course, you have a group of 200 women. We all have not had the right partner. And that itself can be a stepping stone or a stumbling block. So, you know, some of the women have been divorced, like I myself am divorced. But, um, you know, and to me, that's that I learned. I learned a lot. It's a stepping stone. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to be, be better because of what I've learned. Or it can be a stumbling block and I could just be devastated and a victim and, you know, all of those things for the rest of my life. It's just that's not helpful. But even if you're staying with the wrong person, like let's say you've got someone who isn't supportive and we have women in our network right now who have husbands who are not supportive. And, in fact, they kind of tear them down. But they need to stay for one reason or another or choose to stay. And so – we we talk about that, thinking of it as like going to the gym. You know, when you go to the gym, you work out and you, you want to have strong weights so that you get resistance because that's how you build your muscle. Resistance builds muscle. And so if you're in a situation where it could be a stumbling, a stumbling block, turn it into a positive by reframing that and saying, this is my this is making me stronger. I'm getting better. I'm going to use this. We were talking about that again this weekend. We were baking up a storm, you know, making fudge, just doing all kinds of really unhealthy things in the kitchen. Oh yes, we did that yesterday as well. <laughs> well, yeah, we have to it's it's mandatory. You have to do that, you know, this it's time mandatory. of year. <laughs> I'm pretty good at Texas millionaires. Oh, no. And that, but I had your book on my coffee table, and somebody said, hey, what's this? Because they, they, my friends know that my guests will always, almost always send me a book, and I'm reading it. I'm reading it before the interview or, you know, probably long before that. But one of my friends said, what's this one? So he picked it up, and he started thumbing through it, and I showed him your chapter and that you would be my guest. And we got to talking about exactly what you're talking about, you know, self-care and stepping stones. And then for some reason, we got to talking about um, women who marry political types and then stay, and they have to wear the little blue dress and stand next to their husband in front of a microphone while he <laughs> apologizes to the world at large and nobody uh-huh. believes. Then he said, okay, well, what did Jackie Kennedy Onassis get out of staying with, you know, JFK, who was a serial philanderer? And I said, she got to be first lady. What else do you need to know? She, right. She knew what she was doing, and that was just a smart alecky thing. But you know, who knows? She had children. She had this very high-profile marriage. She did what I guess she felt she needed to do. It's not up. It's not us to figure it out. But we need to figure out what we're going to tolerate in our own relationships, whatever they are. Yes, that's correct. And you know, there there are reasons that some people need to stay in a in a partnership that isn't supportive. And so, you know, we can't question those reasons, none of our business, but we can help them reframe it so that they can use it and get stronger. And see, I love that because many, many times you'll see somebody that's in just a horrible marriage and she can either mm-hmm. think or she can say, you know what, I'm going to get out of this at some point. But in the meantime, you know, I am creating some strengths and some skills and some bank accounts, and I've got the locks to That's the door right. my trunk. That's right. When I get out of here, it's permanent. So it doesn't always look as bad as it could be if you are taking those as stepping stones, and I love that, instead of, oh, I'm just mm-hmm. stuck here. I can't do a darn thing. You can do a darn thing. You can do many darn things. Right. That's right. We just turn them into learning opportunities and try to make ourselves better 
and do better and, you know, have a positive impact because it doesn't do any good to get into a victim mentality. You know, just there's no benefit whatsoever. And so if we can avoid that, keep focused. And, you know, on the times when we're feeling sorry for ourselves, like let's say you have a spouse who's total jerk and beating you down and all of that and you have to stay with them, then, you know, if you turn, try to, you know, intentionally reframe that into a positive, you can positively impact other people because no one wants to listen to it for long. You know, you, you know, people who every time you talk to them, they're still talking about something negative that happened five or 10 years ago. It just has no positive impact on the world, no positive impact on your world. So I think it's just important that people realize that being a victim doesn't work. It's not helpful. We just need to reframe things, get moving, go forward, make it a strength and turn it into a positive. Exactly. One of the things that you start with, next stop, president, why not the top? <laughs> and that's, that's, an ex, that's an inscription on the yellow sticky note inside your cabinet. Who's that from? That's right. That's from my dad. And thought. so my, I have this great story about my dad. So I grew up on a farm in western Oklahoma. We had a, at the most maybe 2,000 acres at the largest time in, in my life. Um, at the end, we didn't have nearly that much, but um, but my dad was a farmer. We and we worked like sun up to sundown, hardworking farm kids. And my dad only had a ninth grade education, but he had a genius IQ, which we didn't find out until he was like in his fifties. That made everything that we had learned, you know, growing up, make a lot more sense <laughs> because we were like. <laughs> He used to always call people, he's like, that person's such an idiot. And we're like, well, yeah, everybody was an idiot compared to you, right? So, we, you know, that was a funny lesson that we learned when we were, he was in his 50s. But he would say somehow inside of him, and he had a very, very rough childhood. He ran away at the second grade, you know, to live with his second grade teacher because his home life was so bad. And so, you know, he had a very rough life. And then... There's still somehow, I have no idea how this happened, inside of him, he knew to put in us kids the idea that we could do anything. All my life, he would tell me, you could do that. You know, like there was never like, you know, boys do that, girls do that. It didn't matter, anything. He would say, you could do that. Like there was a, a great auctioneer out there in western Oklahoma, had Clydesdales, which I was in love with Clydesdale horses. But he he was his name was Quentin Jenkins. I remember watching him do his um, auctioneering, and I'd look up so amazed at him. My dad would say, "You could be an auctioneer. Would you like to be an auctioneer?" You know, he was oh. always making this dream for me. And right. so when I start, I I ended up you know like getting having some success in my career, and that's you know it was it was not that long before my dad died that he wrote that note to me, and he just said, you know, next stop, president. Why not the top? Because he just kept encouraging me to keep going. I love that. And you, I was going to say incorrectly that you have no idea how blessed you are, but you do have an idea. You know exactly how blessed you are. <laughs> oh, I do. I do. I had the best dad. I had the best. I had great parents. I'm very, very fortunate. You are. I mean, you really are. When somebody encourages you and then doesn't say, okay, well, let's go do this and let's go just, you know, a simple, well, you can do that. That's brilliant. Yes. That's, that's its own yes. type just, of, you know, genius. That's right. If I could, let me just say that to your listeners, please, if you're a parent, even even as an employer, you know, just telling people they can do more and believing in your heart that they have more inside of them, it pulls their their gifts and talents out of them. And so, you know, it's just a, it's a real positive. And again, you know, you would think that we would know this instinctively, but we don't. We don't always know. And a lot of it's yeah. how we're raised. I mean, if you grow up and your parents are the ones who are saying, you know, you know, don't stretch yourself, like be realistic, you know, stay in this, you know, this is safe. Then you grow up thinking that's the way to think. True enough. Okay, so how, uh, you know, I've read this chapter a couple of times, but I still don't know how you got away from the farm to where you are now. That's got to be a story. 
Well, you know, I, I think I'm finished writing books because they're so hard and so much work. I, except if I ever write another one, I think I'll be my memoirs, and it will be from Hammond to Harvard. It's a long, long journey because, you know, that is it, – it really is quite a story because, I mean, I literally grew up in a town of 400 people. So we were a little farm community, and it, I never thought about going to Harvard ever in my life until I was working in corporate. I, I had worked really hard. I had been very successful. I had coached many, many CEOs by this time, and I decided that I wanted to be on a public company board and started trying to figure out how to get there. And, and two people on the same day sent me this email about this program at Harvard, which was their first program ever for women on boards back in 2016. And they said, this is for you. You should go. That was the first time I ever ever thought about going to Harvard. So if it hadn't been for someone else pointing me that direction, I never would have gone there. So I'm thankful that that happened because it was one of those pivotal moments in my life. You know, I I firmly believe this and I've paid attention to this all of my life. When all of a sudden you're getting those arrows pointing to you and it doesn't matter where they're coming from, I don't know if it's intuition. I don't know if it's, you know, your guide sending you information, other people. It doesn't matter how it gets there. Don't go, oh, that's nice, and keep on going. Pay attention to what your gut is telling you. Yep. Pay close attention. And and stretch yourself. You know, it was a stretch for me to go there. Every time I've gone to a new level, it's a major stretch. You know, when when I went from coaching the people reporting to CEOs to coaching CEOs, that was a major stretch. When I the first time I ever spoke in front of 200 executives, that was a stretch. I mean, these are the kinds of stretches that make me want to throw up. You know, it's like really intense stress and anxiety about getting to that next level. But then you do it, and then you do it again and again and again until you get comfortable, and then you stretch again. You go to the next level. So you know, I think we get we make ourselves better by forcing ourselves to do that. Just, you know, keep keep going further. Oh, no question. Absolutely no question about that. And I thank you for sharing that because I think we need to understand that. It is so easy for all of us, male, female, teenager, doesn't matter what your age is or what your gender is. It's easy to almost deliberately get stuck because there's so much garbage going on in the world if you listen to the news, which I don't consider news. That's a personal preference for me. Or you, mm-hmm. you know, read headlines. I just, I have a lot of ways of getting my information and none of it, none of it comes from mainstream media because I don't trust them. But mm-hmm. if you do, if you are, you know, kind of hooked to into having other people tell you what's going on or what you should think, you're going to be stuck. You may want to get away from that pattern. I agree. I, I, in fact, I, I almost never listen to the news, except I'll, nope. I'll grab a little bit of our local news because I like to hear about the weather and the sports and things that are going on here. But I, I really don't like to listen to it either. You know, I, work, I do some work with Rand Corporation, which is one of the, the – it was the original uh, think tank, government think tank. It's not government-owned, but, you know, the, the government hires them for a lot of their stuff. And, you know, they solve some of the world's most complex problems. And the CEO of that uh, Rand Corporation wrote the book Truth Decay. And he talks about this, what you're talking about, this media. You can't, you can no longer trust the media to be objective. Uh-uh. And, no. you know, both, both sides are very uh, uh, subjective. And so I just can't listen to it. So I'll grab my headlines on the, on the, on the um, Wall Street Journal or wherever, um, you know, to get sort of what's going on, but but I do not watch the news either. And I, I actually think it would be a hindrance to any success that I have if I did because it's a negative cycle. And I once heard a keynote speaker say, look, you can solve all the murder. You can You can get away from all the murder, all the negative, all the kidnappings, all the, you know, stuff going on it, with one thing. Turn off the TV. Turn off cable. And I did that over 10 turn years it ago. Off. <laughs> yep. I turn it, it off. And so, you know, we'll be so much happier, more productive. You know, someone said that you remember Facebook went down for like a day uh, yeah. a few weeks ago. And, and someone said, 
and the world was better for for a day. You know, it's like well, people were looking for Xanax, but yeah. To pull ourselves out of the loop that we get stuck in and go do something different. Exactly. And find the people. Find the high-level, intelligent people who can actually help you, you know, help you find different ways of doing things, help you hone your skills, help you, you know, Mm -hmm. polish how you're thinking. Listen, I know what's going on in the world, but I get it. You know, I'm like you. I'll grab a headline and then I go on a hunt to see what's really happening because that's, that's how I keep my brain optimized, if you will. I've, you know, I'm a strategic thinker. I like to know what's going on. I need to know what's going on. I don't want a bunch of pablum shoved at me, and I won't tolerate that at all. But I know mm-hmm. what's going on. But I do a lot of my own deep dive into, hmm, well, let me see if this true. Is that true? Well, probably not. And then I put it aside right. and wait for it to actually, you know, keep on keep on keeping on and I'll see what may be true. Most of it's not true in my opinion. Most of it's just Right. That's right. And you know, I I started my career as a high school English teacher and what I am sad about is journalism. The the integrity that they the journalists used to have was really amazing and cool. Like they insisted like that was that was a part of being a journalist was this objectivity and and not it wasn't about you know the, the sort of oh gosh what I want to call it, tabloid kind yeah. of things you know it, like with JFK why did we not know he was a womanizer till after he was dead because they put their cameras down they didn't focus on that and it you know that to me is a complete distraction from the things that are going on that we need to know about. And I'm not saying that that shouldn't come out, but I'm just saying like they, it, it becomes all about that. It's a tabloid. So it, so I, I miss the real journalism, the real journalist who did it that, you know, who focused on objectivity. So it, you know, it's a sad turn of events, but maybe somebody will come back and bring back truth in journalism. I hope so. Because like, I don't, I don't need so to too. know about your sexual picadillos. I don't. I just don't. <laughs> I don't care. Unless you're playing around with children, and then at that point, I want you to. Face right. Exactly. Blood. Exactly. But yeah, I, I'm with you. You know, just what happened to the days of this happened on this date? This is you know. Here's some pictures to prove it. Draw your own conclusions. We're not allowed to draw our own conclusions anymore. And that's, that's deliberate, right. I think. But what we went way off. Yes, and I think Elon Musk got it right the other day when he called a journalist a lobbyist. I know. That I is, like that's what it is. I like him. I mean, sometimes, you know, I look at what he's doing and go, hmm. But for the most part, he's a pretty smart guy. Oh, I think he's fantastic. I think he's the Thomas Edison of our time. Oh, I agree. I agree with you. I love to watch him. People say, oh, you know, he's kind of nuts. And aren't we all? He's fantastic. <laughs> He's fantastic. Sure. He's a gift. He's a gift to the universe. I agree. Okay, so we've got about, geez, about six more minutes. What in this book do you really, really want to share with people? Because, and listen, anybody who's listening, grab the book. There's so many words of wisdom in here. Each chapter ends with words of wisdom from the person that is being showcased here. But there are some wonderful stories like here's one make your own rules to avoid burnout i need to work on that now yes there i I am you can probably find you know something from any issue that you might be going through there's everything from just leadership struggles you know internal like strategy problems to people who lost their child because they i mean not because they were at work but they were at women at work lost their baby like one of them uh, baby ha- had SIDS died while she was doing oh, an gosh. overnight uh, IT integration you know so we have that we have uh, undocumented immigrants who grew up to be the CEO of a public company you know it's like no matter what that do not think that you know that's a bunch of elitists and I could never be like that you can you can you just have to choose it you have to go you know get the education do the things that you have to do I think you would be inspired by reading just even one story, but we wrote it in a way that you can pick it up and read one at a time, just like the old chicken soup for the soul. 
you know, we wanted to be able to inspire people. And and the publisher is the Hachette out of the UK. It's global book. It's audible everywhere. Again, it's called The Courage to Advance. It's in bookstores and also online. But um, but we the publisher worked with us to get it out as fast as possible because we wanted to inspire people. We knew that people were down because of COVID, and we just want to help them through. And I think yeah. the readers will be inspired. Well, I'm reading. Oh, and we have a book club, by the way. We have a book oh. guide. It's so really? if you get the book, there's a code in the book, and th- then you can go to the website you can get behind the scenes there's a free book guide so you can have a book club there's also a place for you to tell your story to us and send it in i think we're going to create a competition for that and then um also behind the scenes of the login once you have your code you will get the things we couldn't set so we have other goodies back there like the stuff that it's anonymous but it's a whole list of things that we couldn't say and put our names to and then we also have like advice that you can print out and stick on your walls because when we had people reading the book for prepping to go to publishing, they were cutting out the advice and sticking it on their walls. And we thought, well, let's make it some cool poster type things and make it look nice. So there's all that stuff behind the scenes, and I think people will really like that too. Oh, you're going to see me over there. I'm reading – thank you. I did, You know, I did not find that. Now I'm thumbing through it going, where, where? where it's in the it preface. Off? It's in the preface. In the preface. All right. Okay. So I am looking at – and I don't know how to pronounce her name. I'm in Deep South, and, you know, it's a Cajun country here, so Richard is pronounced Richard. And I think her name is Rosie Richard, or Bichard, Bichard. 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 Okay. So – Anyway, she's got some, you know, she talks about, you know, do what you're passionate about. Do what you love. And so many of us don't. You know, we're doing, well, you know, we're doing the safe thing. We were trained for this. I was meant to be an attorney. I'm going to be an attorney. I hate it, but I'm good at it. And I, I can't agree with that. If you don't love what you're doing, if you're not passionate about what you're doing, if you're not always reaching to be better at what you're doing, what the heck is your life really all about? It's so true. I mean, really, life is short. Why spend it doing things that we don't like to do? Because, you know, everybody has something that they're probably an A player at. And so go find the thing that you can do well that you would enjoy doing. I, you know, I told my kids from when they were little, do what you love. It'll never feel like work. Well, maybe some days it feels like work, but most days it doesn't. Because you love what you do. I love what I do. I, I, I have to make myself stop working because I love what I do. And find something that you love, and your life will be very fulfilling. It will. And, you know, people will say, oh, you know, I wake up in the morning, and the first thing I'm thinking about is, oh, geez, I've got to go do this. Me? I can't sleep. I, I don't sleep a whole lot. I never have. I'm a catnapper. I'm up and down, up and down, and I'm thinking and I'm writing, and I might be, you know, making gumbo at 2 in the morning. It happens. But I wake up when I'm waking up for the final time in the morning. I'm like, oh, and I've got stuff to do because I'm so excited about that I'm awake and that I can go do things that I love. That's My podcast I'm the same is way. I, I actually get irritated because I have to stop and eat, take bio yeah. breaks. I mean, I, I don't want to. <laughs> At the end of the day, I'll say, oh, man, I've got a headache. Did you eat something, Denise? No. <laughs> okay. <go eat> something. <laughs> so. Well, I have to say I never miss a meal, but I don't like taking the time. I often eat it standing up at the kitchen counter. Yep, been there, done that. It's called a kitchen sink salad. I throw everything into the bowl and eat it over the sink. <laughs> it's just, it works. Bonnie, we've got about 60 seconds. Tell people where they can find you. And thank you because this has been a fascinating conversation. So, And it always oh, goes so you. quickly. I know. No, I've totally enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for having me on the program. Um, they can find me at our current website, which is executivedevelopment.com. That will be changing. Um, we'll have a new one, but if you go there and you know, sign up for our newsletter, then you'll get the new one as soon as we roll that out by the end of February. Um, the other place is LinkedIn. Please come find me on LinkedIn. Connect. I'd love for you to connect. Follow us on Real Life Real Leaders, and um, we'd love to stay in touch. So if they want to reach out, those are good places to do it. Great. Do me a favor and spell your last name. 
our audience? My last name is Hageman, H-A-G-E-M-A-N-N, Bonnie Hageman. Thank you. Bonnie, it's been wonderful speaking with you, and I thank you for sending the book. I love the book. you got to see it. I should take Welcome. a picture of it. I've got little stickies all over it. It's getting fat. Oh, I'm so glad you're reading the book. Thank you. It's filled with stickies. But anyway, before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes, Spotify, Anywhere. Honestly, you cannot throw a stick on the Internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio. And the reason for that is because I've got these tremendous and fascinating guests like Bonnie who really turn out to be my mentors in many ways. So just look for your partner in Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. Bonnie, thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.